what are you most afraid of? Okay, what are you most afraid of? Might be a, too broad of a question this early in the morning. You don't want to think about the things that scare you. Um, but what are you most afraid of? I did some Googling, actually, to see if there were some common fears that we all have. And it turns out that it's actually a pretty well-researched subject. Um, here's what I found. The most common phobia that people have is public speaking. Public speaking. Anybody afraid of public speaking? I bet that the people who are afraid of public speaking also don't like the public speaker calling on them to raise their hand while he's speaking. I don't get the phobia. I really don't. Obviously, I'm very comfortable up here. Some might say too comfortable. Um, how about heights? Anybody afraid of heights? Some scientists actually believe, I found this was interesting, some scientists believe that the reason we're scared of heights dates back like millions of years to more primitive days to when high terrains were very dangerous to us. So we wanted to stay low. So they think that that's where the fear of heights come from. Uh, very interesting. Uh, then, of course, there are bugs and insects, which probably affect your children more than they affect you. But I know plenty of adults who will scream and shout if they find a spider in the shower, Right. Yep, okay, we know it's true. Uh, this next one gets me. Ooh, blood and needles. Ooh, I've passed out all three times I've donated blood. And actually, that's true. I'm not lying. And it's true. Um, just talking about blood. I mean, you can ask my wife. Talking about blood will literally make me lightheaded and dizzy. I'll almost fall over. Now, I do want to finish today. So I'm going to move on from the blood and needles, okay? According to the Washington Post, this one... Just makes me just shake my head, honestly. The Washington Post reports that zombies are the ninth most common fear in the United States. The ninth most common. It breaks the top ten of the things that we're most scared of. Zombies. People. You know zombies aren't real, right? We are all afraid of something, but some of us can manage our fear better than others. For example, if you're afraid of heights, what do you do? You avoid going to high places. Pretty easy, right? Okay, um, if public speaking scares you, you don't take a job that requires you to speak in front of a crowd once a week. Okay, don't take that job. If you're afraid of zombies, just don't be. Okay, I'm telling you, they're not real. It's not going to happen, okay? Quit watching The Walking Dead and all these shows. It's going to be okay. But then there are fears that aren't as easily avoidable. And no, I'm not talking about what I go through every year when I have to get a flu shot, okay? That, I know that's not avoidable. I got to do it. But I'm talking about the fears that you and I, that we all feel no matter our situation and circumstances. Things that we're all afraid of simply because we're human. What am I talking about? Humiliation. There's that moment in middle school that you hope nobody you know now finds out about. You just want to leave it back there, leave it buried. It's so embarrassing. Don't ever bring it up, okay? Or how about parents? The first time your son or daughter in the grocery store had a meltdown. You guys, is that like scarred into your mind, right? We all know what it's like to be ashamed. We all know what it's like to feel humiliated, and it scares all of us. We don't want to be embarrassed. And then there's rejection, and rejection can come in a whole lot of forms, but perhaps it comes in the form of a divorce. It comes in the form of a parent who walked out on you when you were a child. And every time you start to love someone or care about someone, this fear of rejection creeps in. We all know what it's like to be rejected. It could be a financial fear. 
You're not able to make the same choice as other people are able to make because of your financial situation. Because of your financial situation, you might live somewhere you don't want to live in a neighborhood that's not good or safe and schools that aren't great for your kids, but you don't have a choice because of your socioeconomic status. You live here because you have to live here. You can't make a choice to live anywhere else. We have a financial fear. And I think that almost all of us, every person in the room, no matter what you believe, would say that there's an element of dying and death and what happens after you die that makes us all very fearful. It was in the news this last week that mass shootings are quickly becoming one of the most talked about subjects in therapy sessions. And certainly one of the reasons that it's being talked about so much now is because of the sudden and senseless and very public loss of life. It makes us confront our fear of death, dying, and what happens afterwards. And these fears can be magnified during the holidays This Christmas, you might sit around the table for the first time without a loved one who had been there with you your whole life. You might be picking up extra shifts this holiday season to pay pay off those layaway gifts before Christmas, or you dread being alone yet another year. The weight of these things can be tangible, can't they? Fear isn't just something that affects you emotionally. Fear affects you spiritually. And even right now, I think that you could say fear affects us physically. There's a physical, spiritual, and emotional reaction to fear. And it's something that every single one of us feels. Now, you probably came in here today thinking, I got an email or I saw on Facebook that we were in a series called Hope for Everyone. And right now, I don't feel very hopeful, okay? Yeah, sorry. We are in a series called Hope for Everyone, and I'm sorry for that. But I want to remind you that, yes, while Advent, the Advent season, is a season of hope, it is a season of anticipation, but with hope and with anticipation comes expectation. And with expectation, you better believe, comes fear. You can't expect something without being afraid of something. Let me explain. Before the birth of Jesus, before the birth of the Messiah, the Israelites had been waiting on him hundreds of thousands of years. God said, I will send a Messiah, and they were waiting. And was there not a ton of hope in this Messiah? Yes, you better believe that the Israelites anticipated the Messiah that would make the world right again. But that hope that expectation, and with the delay of when is the Savior going to be here brought a fear. And they began to fear that God was not going to keep his word, that God was going to break his promise and not come through. Like them, you and I carry fears with us every day about today and tomorrow, no matter what God has said or done yesterday. And in this series, we've been talking about different people in the Bible, in the Christmas story. And as we look at their lives, I hope that you've been able to say, hey, there's a part of my life that I can relate to Mary. Hey, there's a part of my life I can relate to Zechariah. And whether that's because you're dealing with disappointment this holiday season, or because you're struggling to find your purpose, or as we're going to talk about today, you are crippled by fear. I hope that this series shows that we can have real emotions, we can deal with real things, and because of the birth of Christ, we can have real hope, okay? We're getting real, all sorts of real this morning. So if you want to go to Matthew with me, we are going to look at 
Joseph. Now, there are a lot of Josephs in the Bible, and this Joseph is the earthly father of Jesus. He is not the biological father of Jesus. As we talked about last week, Mary, through the power of the Holy Spirit, became pregnant with Jesus. But we want to talk about his earthly father, Joseph. Now, Matthew begins his gospel pretty quickly, jumps right into it. He says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Pretty straightforward. I can appreciate that. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but, and this is a good place to stop. Let's stop right here. Because so often when we're reading the Bible, it's about mass reading. I got to read this chapter or I got to read this book and we just kind of speed read through it. But how many times in our lives does anything good come after the word but? Let me explain. Marie, you sounded great this morning, but Mike, your message last week was spot on, but Megan, Everything is all right now, but, whew, and your hearts drop, right? You're like, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. But our hearts drop because we know that anything that was said right before the word, but you forgot. You forgot that I said the message was good. You forgot that I said you sounded great. You forgot that everything was all right because all you are anticipating now is what's wrong, but, but, but what? And the Bible is no exception this is how Jesus was born. His mother was engaged to be married to Joseph, but, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a story we've heard a lot. We taught about it last week. You can watch that message on YouTube or listen to it. But let's talk about Joseph. We talk about Mary an awful lot. I want to talk about the guy, Joseph. And maybe it's just because I'm a guy and I'm a dad. I can kind of relate to Joseph a little more than I can relate to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, he was engaged to marry Mary. Um, but it was, more of an, it was more than just an engagement as our culture thinks of an engagement. Okay, how much more of an engagement was it? Well, it was a done deal, pretty much. They were 99% married. As a matter of fact, if Joseph were to want to break off the engagement with Mary, he actually would have had to get a legal divorce. That's how much of a done deal it was. You're saying, well, if he had to get a divorce to leave Mary and they were just engaged, what made them not married? Pretty much one thing made them not married and married, and it was the one thing that Joseph knew he was not the father of Jesus. You get me? Joseph says, I know I'm not the father of Jesus because this one thing hasn't happened, and this is the last thing we're supposed to do before we get married, and we haven't done it. So that's how he knows. Nowadays, we have pregnancy tests. I can tell you pretty quickly, pretty immediately if you're pregnant. Um, but think about this. It was about 2,000 years ago. It was kind of maybe just a little bit more of a mystery than it is today. So how would we know that Mary was indeed pregnant? How would Joseph know? Well, perhaps Mary was waking up all sorts of nauseous and vomiting every morning. And at first, you kind of think maybe thought she ate something bad. And then after a couple of weeks, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's sick with something more serious. And then maybe a few more weeks after that, you start to think, hmm, is she starting to show? And you wait, because if you're unsure, you don't ask. Right, ladies? Right. Okay, if you're unsure, you don't ask. And so Joseph waits a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, the signs are so blatant. It's not just Joseph that notices. It's the neighbors. It's the community. It's the people down at the synagogue. They live in the small town, and all of a sudden, people are noticing, you know, Joseph and Mary are engaged, but they're not married, and now Mary is pregnant, or is she pregnant? And you can just imagine the fear 
that Joseph had. This had to have been his worst nightmare. The worst ever. All of a sudden, the hopes and dreams that he had for his relationship were torn apart, replaced by what he felt was betrayal, replaced by what he felt was infidelity. His worst fears confronted him. He was not able to avoid his fears. They were right there with him, personified in Mary. And Joseph felt the same things that you and I feel. He felt ashamed and humiliated in his community. He felt rejected by his fiance. And both of these things would have impacted his financial situation, certainly, which was not great to begin with. You and I know exactly how it feels to be Joseph. We've all been embarrassed. We've all been rejected. We've all had financial issues. And sometimes all in the same moment, when the waiter comes up to the table with all of our friends and says, um, sir, do you have a different card? This one was declined. You guys know what I'm saying? Or am I the only one that that's ever happened to? We all know what it's like to be Joseph, now a bit of a spoiler, before you think, oh, we're reading the Bible and Joseph is this great guy and he's probably going to respond in a way that I can't relate to, you're wrong. He's going to respond exactly how I think you would respond. We read in verse 19, Joseph was a righteous man. Aha, so he was a good guy. He didn't want to disgrace Mary publicly. Again, a good guy. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. I'm just going to divorce you without making it Facebook official. Okay, we're going to hide this from the timeline. That's exactly what Joseph is doing. He says, we're going to get a divorce. This is over. I don't know who you slept with. I know it's not me. And this is going to be embarrassing and ruin my reputation. And I'm going to have to stick around and raise a kid that's not mine and be reminded every day that he is not my son and that you slept around with someone else. And Joseph says, um... I feel afraid for me. I kind of feel a little afraid for you. So we're just going to do this quietly and hopefully no one notices and hopefully no one remembers. Now you and I know because we've heard the story before. We talked about Mary last weekend that Mary became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, however, we know that information. Joseph does not know that information. We can't imagine a scenario in which Mary says, listen, Joe, you're not going to believe this. I really didn't sleep with anybody. God impregnated me through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be the Messiah. We already know that Joseph is going to be like, and you think I'm dumb. On top of everything else you're throwing at me, you also think I'm an idiot. But here's what happens. God said, I'm going to send him an angel, and he'll have to believe the angel. So Joseph is sleeping, and in this dream, um, an angel of the Lord says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, let's hang out here for just a moment. Joseph finds out some pretty devastating news. Perhaps some of the worst news he has ever found out in his life. And what doesn't God tell him? I hope you notice this. God didn't tell Joseph in a dream, you are not going to be humiliated. Didn't say that. God doesn't tell Joseph, you won't feel rejected. God doesn't tell Joseph, you are not going to have financial problems. He says, you better believe it. Through this angel, God doesn't say any of this stuff. 
And I think that in the midst of our uncertainties and our fears and our everyday lives, what do we do? We get on our hands and knees and we pray to God and we say, we pray and we hope and we believe that God will keep me from being afraid, that God will keep me from scary situations, that God won't let me go through anything that would reject or cause me to have rejection, that would cause me to be humiliated, or that would cause me to have financial problems. But what we read isn't that. As a matter of fact, let's take it one step further. Who got Joseph in this jam? Who is the reason that Joseph is going to be rejected? Who is the reason Joseph is going to be humiliated? Who is the reason that Joseph is going to have financial problems? God. You can look between Genesis and Revelation, I have, but nowhere did I find that God walks up to Joseph before any of this happens and asks for Joseph's opinion, asks for Joseph's input, asks for Joseph to collaborate with him. No, it's more of an FYI. And then a command, don't leave her. You got to stay with her, dude. Because of God, Joseph has a very fearful and a very scary situation that he has to deal with. God didn't keep Joseph from being scared. He might not keep you from being scared. It wasn't going to be easy, but here's how Joseph responds. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This is the part of the story we really need to learn from. Because in the midst of his fear... Joseph responds in faith. Faith, not fear, dictates what Joseph does. His trust is remarkable. His strength is unshakable. Despite everything that he had to fear, the rejection, the humiliation, the financial troubles, all that could go wrong, Joseph decides to trust in God and to take a step of faith and not live in fear, obeying what God has said. Joseph made a conscious decision that every single day he would follow and live in faith and not in fear. And when we think about our fears, I think that we think, we really believe, especially in the United States, okay, we really believe believe somehow that it's God's job to protect us from anything that would make us uncomfortable. That God's supposed to keep me away from situations and circumstances that would make me feel afraid and scared and fearful. But as we can see from the story of Joseph, that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, sometimes God puts you right in the middle of the valley because he has a greater plan and a greater purpose for your life than you do. And sometimes when we're going through those lows and we're wondering if tomorrow is ever going to come and we're fearful that God has broken his promise, we need to remember God loves us, God sees us, God is with us. As a matter of fact, the angel tells Joseph, you are to name your son Emmanuel, Jesus. Emmanuel, it means God with us. God with us. And it's in these seasons when you and I are most scared and most tested and most fearful that we're going to find out, am I somebody who takes a step of faith or am I someone who acts out of fear? And this is where we find hope. God doesn't tell Joseph, deal with it, try harder. Or as my dad would tell me in the hot summer, son, when I was mowing the lawn, he'd say, life's rough and then you die. That's not what our heavenly father tells us. What God tells Joseph is, do not be afraid. 
And a little interesting bonus for you this morning. There's no more common phrase in the Bible than do not be afraid. It is the most written phrase in most English Bibles. Do not be afraid. As a matter of fact, there are roughly 365 of them, which gives you one do not be afraid for every day next year. Do not be afraid. How do we not be afraid? Because Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph felt the very, very real fear that you and I feel all the time. God was going to let him be humiliated. God was going to let him be rejected. God was going to let him be financially hurt. But he says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. What does this mean? It is better to be humiliated with God. It is better to be rejected with God. It is better to be broke and poor and in poverty with God than to never, ever be afraid and be without God. We know how the story ends because we live 2,000 years after it. Joseph, this story was just the very beginning. Nine months later, Mary gives birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus. Jesus lives the life every single one of us should have lived. He died the death every single one of us deserved so that you and I could have true life, so that we wouldn't have to go through our fears and the scary situations all by ourselves, that God would be with us. And Joseph said, I'd rather be humiliated with God, I'd rather be rejected with God, and I'd rather be in poverty with God. And because of Joseph's obedience and his choice to live in faith, your life is different. I don't know how the story goes. I don't know how the story ends if Joseph wakes up and decides to leave Mary anyway. If he decides, no, I'm still too scared. Nope, I'm still too fearful. I don't know how the story goes. I don't think you know how the story goes. But what we know is that Joseph, because of his faith, stuck in there. And because of the rejection and the humiliation that he felt, our lives are forever changed. The world is forever changed. And the same can be true of you. And whatever it is that you're going through, that God could have a plan and a purpose for your life. And the situation that you're in right now, he could have a very bright tomorrow. And not just for you, but maybe for this church. And maybe not just for this church, but for the city of Madison. And maybe not just for the city of Madison, but for Wisconsin and for the rest of the world. You don't know. But what you do know is that God is with us and do not be afraid. Let's take a step of faith rather than a step of fear. What does this mean for us today? Well, let's talk about a few things. Okay, we talk about baptism a lot here, right? Baptism. Okay, well, Jesus was baptized. Jesus tells us to be baptized. And we see that the new church or the early church baptized people. You say, well, I'm a believer, but I haven't been baptized. Um, But my family doesn't believe. So if I were to be baptized, I might be rejected by my family. Or my family believes, but they don't believe what I believe, and I might be humiliated. Let me tell you, it would be better to be baptized with God and rejected with God and humiliated with God than to not be. And that is where you're going to begin to sow those seeds of faith that when life does get rough and life does get tougher, that you'll be able to walk out in faith and not in fear. Small groups. Oh man, if I go to a small group and we start talking, I'm going to have to share that middle school story, the one that I want everyone to forget or not know. And I'm going to have to open up and be vulnerable. We're God's people. Hopefully this is a safe place to be humiliated with God and his people. Hopefully this is a safe place to be rejected with God and his people so we can heal together and we can learn how to manage our fears and to live in faith. It's why we push giving. And we talk about giving back all the time because it is better to be broke and with God 
than it would be to be less broke without God. Because let's admit it, all of us feel like we're broke, no matter our financial situation, okay? It would be better to be more broke with God than less broke with him. That's why we talk about recurring giving. We set it up. And we set it for whatever we get paid that we're going to tithe or we're going to give back. And why do we do that? Because it establishes a baseline for generosity. I'm going to be this generous or that generous next month, no matter the unexpected bill, no matter if I got to send home early from a shift, that this is how much I am going to be generous. And why do we do that? Because I would rather be poor and broke with the favor of God over my life than to live in fear and be poor and broke without God's blessing, without God's provision in my life. These are just three practical steps we could go on and on, talking about prayer and reading the Bible and resolving conflict. There are so many different ways that this happens. But the fact is, the reason that Joseph was able to overcome his fear was because he obeyed, because he woke up the next morning and he did what God says. And I think that when we get in our fearful situations, please, God, please get me out of this situation. And then we do whatever's most comfortable. We do whatever's easiest, but we don't do what's right. That's why we don't give. That's why we don't go to our small groups. That's why we're not baptized. That's why we don't read our Bibles. That's why we don't resolve conflict, because those things are just hard and they're uncomfortable and God doesn't want me to. No, 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 no. We just talked about this in the last 20 minutes. Sometimes God puts you through those seasons. We have to take a hold of this truth that no matter what you are afraid of, Christmas reminds us the greatest thing that ever happened in human history is that you can have real fear and about the future and about today, but God is with us and do not be afraid. Some of the last words that Jesus ever said on this earth was, be sure of this, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. I don't know what you came in here today with, I don't know how your work week was. I don't know if you failed a final on Friday. I don't know if you got in a fight with your family before you came here. I don't know any of that, but here's what I do know. God says, I am with you even to the end of the age. Do not be afraid. Choose faith over fear, and we do that by being obedient.